this week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Titus with Devoted to Good Works and then move into Ruth with Intro to Ruth, Naomi Prepares to Return to Bethlehem, Ruth's Loyalty, and Call Me No More, Naomi. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. O Lord, open my lips, 
Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. 
The Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friends, what shall we do? This simple question is repeated throughout Luke's Gospel. After hearing the preaching of John the Baptist, the crowds respond with this question, what shall we do? Later, a lawyer uses the same question to test Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This question then becomes central to a number of Jesus' parables in Luke's Gospel. The rich fool asks himself this question when considering the best course of action after an abundant harvest. The clever, the clever steward is compelled to answer this question when he is caught wasting his master's goods. Even the owner of the vineyard, who represents God himself, must answer this question when the wicked tenant farmers refuse to share the fruits of the harvest. It is finally even the question on the lips of the crowd gathered for Pentecost when they hear Peter's inspired proclamation. What shall we do? This question, of course, represents a moment of crisis. It signifies that things cannot continue as they have in the past. It calls for a new course of action. What shall we do? This simple question lies at the heart of Luke's Gospel, and dear friends, it is indeed a question that demands an answer. And yet before we attempt our own answers, St. Luke, of course, calls us to consider a variety of responses to this question in his Gospel. And so when the crowds cry out, what shall we do? John the Baptist answers with a call for mercy. He who has two coats, let him share with one, with one who has none. When the lawyer tests Jesus with this question, he receives the good Samaritan as his answer. Go and do likewise, Jesus says. The rich fool, the clever steward, the owner of the vineyard, all offer their answers to this question as well. And all these examples now lead us to the definitive answer that St. Luke wants us to consider. The definitive answer, of course, is embodied in Jesus Christ. 
And from the beginning of Luke's Gospel, Jesus' answer to this question takes the form of hospitality. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, Jesus says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's hospitality. Here, hospitality, of course, does not merely refer to the skill of hosting a meal. Rather, St. Luke speaks here of hospitality as a divine virtue. Indeed, hospitality is the form God's mercy now takes in Jesus' life and ministry. Hospitality means that even in the midst of His holiness, Jesus makes room for the sinner. Even in the midst of His vengeance, Jesus will set a table before His enemies. Hospitality means that our Lord restrains His judgment to give opportunity for repentance. It means that God shows, slows down His wrath to give the opportunity for sinners to change course. Hospitality means that God makes room for old ways to be forsaken and a new course to now be followed. And so Jesus, who was denied a guest room at his own birth, now comes to prepare an upper room where he can feast with his disciples. He comes to set a table where tax collectors and sinners can rejoice. He comes to construct an inn where the wounded man can be tended, where strangers can be welcomed. He comes to establish a household where the sinful woman can now show her love, where the beggar Lazarus can finally be comforted, where the prodigal son can be embraced and restored. And yes, dear friends, in his hospitality, there is even room for the infant. In our text for today, St. Luke presents the reception of these infants as yet another manifestation of Jesus' hospitality. Indeed, the great enemy of our Lord's hospitality is impatience. When the infants are brought to Jesus, the disciples are confronted with this question, what shall we do? And yet their answer has more in common with the Pharisees than with Jesus. When the disciples see those bringing the infants, they rebuked them. The disciples' judgment is harsh because it is impatient. Their judgment is limited simply to the present moment. The disciples see the infants simply as they are in this current moment. And as they are, these infants, of course, lack maturity. They lack stature, they lack strength, they lack knowledge. Indeed, in the present moment, these infants have nothing to offer Jesus, nothing to contribute to his mission, nothing to improve or enhance his fellowship. And so the disciples judge these infants in the same way that the rich man judges that beggar Lazarus at his gate. Why invite to your table one who in the present moment has nothing to offer but wounds and sickness and suffering? The disciples judge these infants in the same way that the Pharisees judge the tax collectors and sinners reclining at Jesus' table. 
In the present moment, such guests can only damage Jesus' reputation. And for the sake of righteousness, such guests need to be excluded. And yet Jesus is not hindered by such impatience, nor is his judgment limited to the present moment. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. How different is Jesus' judgment? Jesus does not merely see what these infants lack in the present moment. He sees what they will yet become by the grace of God. Jesus' hospitality is filled with a patient optimism, an optimism that is rooted in his own death and resurrection. Indeed, our Lord endures the cross, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, that he might now embody the year of the Lord's hospitality. So by his cross and resurrection, Jesus now makes room for the infant to grow and to mature and to become more than what he is in the present. By his passion, Jesus makes room for the prodigal son to see his error and now return home. By his passion, Jesus makes room for Zacchaeus to repent, to offer half his goods to the poor, to repay fourfold those whom he defrauded. Jesus makes room for the Emmaus disciples to be taught from the scriptures and to finally be enlightened in the breaking of the bread. Indeed, even on the cross itself in Luke's gospel, Jesus makes room for that repentant thief to join him in paradise. And so what shall we do? This question lies at the heart of Luke's gospel, and it is a question that demands an answer. And for St. Luke, the definitive answer is now here given in Jesus Christ himself. What shall we do? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Indeed, the pronoun this in Jesus' institution of his supper must not be limited to the mere rite itself. Rather, this refers to the whole narrative of the gospel, to the pattern of Jesus' own ministry, to the form of Jesus' own life, and above all else for St. Luke, it refers to Jesus' hospitality. His hospitality makes room in the midst of his righteousness for the sinner to repent. It gives opportunity in the midst of divine wrath for the enemy to forsake his old ways and to follow a new course. His hospitality provides a place in the midst even of his perfection for the infant to grow, to mature, to become more than what he is in the present moment. And so, in light of his great mercy, dear friends, what shall we do? Let us do this in remembrance of him. To Christ be all the glory forever and ever.
we remember the Just family as they mourn the death of Mrs. Just's father, Paul Hoppy. O oh Lord, hear my prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Lord God, maker of heaven and earth and giver of life, we thank you for all the mercies you granted to our brother Paul during his earthly life, especially for calling him to faith in Jesus Christ. Comfort the survivors who mourn his death with the hope of the glorious resurrection and a joyful reunion in heaven. Keep us mindful that we are mortal so that we will ever be prepared to die in the faith and finally receive the glory promised to all who trust in your beloved Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.